This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net. The night sky for May 2019. As darkness falls, a bit later than it used to be, Castor and Pollux in Germany are setting above the western horizon. Towards the southwest is seen the constellation of Leo the Lion, with the bright star Regulus, its front haunches. To the rear of Leo is a wonderful region of the sky, when seen through a telescope, is called the Realm of the Galaxies, and it's where the galaxy M87 exists, one of the largest galaxies in the observable universe. And of course, you may well have seen the image of the quotes black hole in the last couple of weeks or so. Obviously, you don't see the black hole. It doesn't emit any light or radiation. There's been some argument about what you do see. For a while, I thought it might be an accretion disk around it. But in fact, that's not bright enough. As a result of the black hole, there's a jet which produces synchrotron radiation that is emitted from the regions of the black hole. And I believe, as with my colleagues here at Jodrell Bank, that what we are seeing is what's called an Einstein ring. Some of the energy of that synchrotron emission is being formed into a circle, a halo, if you like, around the shadow of the black hole. Well, the brightest star coming towards the south after sunset, is Arcturus at the bottom of the constellation of Bootes. And high overhead is the plough, an asterism, which is part of the constellation Ursa Major. There's some nice galaxies in that region too, and other objects to look at with a small telescope. Rising over in the east and getting higher as the night progresses are the three constellations of Lyra with its bright star Vega, of Cygnus with its bright star Deneb, and Aquila with its bright star Altair. And those three stars make up what is called the Summer Triangle. And they will become increasingly obvious as the summer progresses. Well, what about the planets this month? Well, Jupiter starts the month shining at magnitude minus 2.5, increasing slightly to minus 2.6 as the month progresses. And of course, at the same time, its angular size increases from 43 to 46 arc seconds. At the start of May, it rises around midnight, so it'll be due south around 3am or so, whilst at the month's end, it rises at about 9.30, and we're due south at about 01.30, and those are universal times. That's the time that astronomers keep. Sadly, it's heading towards the southernmost part of the ecliptic, and currently lies in the southern part of Ophiuchus, just above Scorpius. So, as it crosses the meridian, due south, it will only have an elevation of about 14 degrees. It lies just above the centre of our Milky Way. At this low elevation, atmospheric dispersion will thus take its toll. And a device called an atmospheric dispersion corrector will greatly help to improve our views of the giant planet. Saturn, shining with a magnitude increasing from plus 0.5 to plus 0.3 during the month, rises around midnight during the month, so crosses the meridian just before dawn. Its disk is about 18 arc seconds across, and the rings which are still nicely tilted to the line of sight, spanning some 40 arc seconds across. 
Morning twilight is the best time to observe it, but sadly now in Sagittarius and lying on the southern side of the Milky Way, it's at the very lowest part of the ecliptic, and will only reach an elevation of around 10 degrees or so, which depends, of course, on where you live in the UK. As with Jupiter, an atmospheric dispersion corrector will help improve our view. Mercury passes through superior conjunction, that's behind the Sun, on May the 21st, and will only be visible low in the west-northwest on the last few days of the month. So one will need a very low horizon, and binoculars could well be needed to reduce the Sun's background glare. But please, of course, do not use them until after the Sun has set. Mars, though fading from plus 1.6 to plus 1.8 magnitudes during the month, is still visible in Taurus in the southwestern sky after sunset, lying about halfway between Betelgeuse in Orion and Capella in Auriga. It sets some three hours after the sun at the start of May, with an elevation as darkness falls of about 20 degrees, but less than two and a half hours by month's end. Its angular size is falling from 4.2 to less than four arc seconds during the month. So sadly, there'll be no details to see on its salmon pink surface. And finally, Venus. Venus has a magnitude of about minus 3.8 in May, whilst its angular size reduces from 11.5 to 10.8 arc seconds as it moves away from the Earth. However, at the same time, the percentage illuminated disk, that's called its phase, increases from 88 to 92%. The two effects cancel out, and that's why the brightness remains constant at 3.8 magnitudes. It rises about an hour before the sun, but its elevation is only 4 degrees at sunrise, so a very low horizon in the east is required, and again binoculars may well be needed to spot it through the sun's glare. But of course, again, do not please use them after the sun has risen. Well, finally, some highlights. On May the 7th, after sunset, Mars lies above a very thin crescent moon. So you need a good low horizon looking towards the west. If so, if it's clear, one should be able to spot Mars lying halfway between Betelgeuse and Capella, as I said, but above a very thin crescent moon. That's quite a tricky observation, I think. On May the 12th, in the evening, the moon lies in Leo, lying very close to its bright star, Regulus. On May the 19th, in the early evening, if it's clear, one should be able to spot Mars lying just above M35 in Gemini. So looking west and using binoculars or a small telescope, you might be able to spot Mars lying just above the open cluster M35 in Gemini. This is probably about the last chance to see Mars at the very end of its apparition. On May the 20th, around midnight, Jupiter will lie over to the right of a waning gibbous moon. And on May the 23rd, in the early morning, Saturn will lie up to the right again of a waning gibbous moon, but with a thinner phase. Finally, on May the 28th, around midnight, there's a chance to spot Asteroid 1, Ceres. 
It had its closest approach to the Earth at about that time, lying over to the right of Jupiter. It will have a magnitude of seven, so binoculars should enable you to spot it. And the chart I provided on the night sky page, just Google night sky jodrell, will help you to find it. A planetarium program, such as the free program Stellarium, will show you its position in the days before and after its closest approach. Ceres is the largest of the minor planets, and is now classified as a dwarf planet. I like the name minor planet rather than asteroid because I got one named after me, and I'd much rather be a minor planet than an asteroid. Anyway, I know the lights are not as long as they have been. I do hope we have a chance to see some nice things in the heavens this month. Thanks for that, Ian. And for our Southern Hemisphere listeners, here is Haritina Mogosanu and Samuel Lesky with the night sky where you are. The rise of the galaxy. Get out from New Zealand. Hi, everyone. We're here at Space Place at Carter Observatory, holding again galactic conversations from the heart of Wellington in the Southern Hemisphere with the music of the amazing Rian Sheehan, our Wellingtonian star composer. I'm Haritina Mogoshanu. And I'm Samuel Esky. Tonight we have a very special guest, one of our own Milky Way Kiwi, from far across the Cook Strait and the Southern Alps, Lake Tekapo. Hi, I'm Holly. Hi, Holly. Welcome to the capital of New Zealand. What brings you here? Well, I'm on holiday. I've got a week off, so I'm spending some time up north. Well, if you've got a week, who's operating the telescope? Oh, we've got other people, don't worry. Excellent. (laughs) Well, it's great that you're here because we have some instructions for looking up. And in your professional opinion, how does the Wellington night sky compare to the Lake Tekapo night sky? I imagine there's not much difference. Uh, We're missing out on some of the fainter things up here, but it's not too bad. (laughs) This month, we're going to talk a little bit about the month of May. We're going to look at what the sun is up to, what's the Milky Way doing, what's Orion and Scorpius doing. We we talk a bit about the brightest stars visible. And finally, we are going to put out there some of our favorite binocular and telescope objects, certain polar objects and planets. A little bit about May. May is the fifth month of the year in the Julian and Gregorian calendars and is a month of spring in the Northern Hemisphere and it is autumn in the Southern Hemisphere. It is named after the Greek goddess Maya or Roman goddess of fertility Bonadea. In Old English, Maius, Latin name Maius, Mensis, month of Maya. Old French, Mai. Maya was one of the Pleiades as well and the mother of Hermes. Maya is the daughter of Atlas and Pleione, the Oceanid, and it's the oldest of the seven Pleiades. Because they were daughters of Atlas, they were also called the Atlantids. For the Romans, Mai, Maya embodied the concept of growth, as her name was thought to be related to the comparative adjective Maius, mayor, larger, greater, and there is a plant, a, a flower, the lily of the valley. It's called in a Latin and scientific name, Convalaria Mayalis. And it is one of my favorite flowers and it is named after after the m- month of May. So what's the sun up to? The sun rises from 7 to 7.30 throughout the month and sets from around 5.30 to 5pm. Beautiful long nights are here, the astronomer's dream. In May, the sun transits the first the, the zodiacal constellations of the ram, which, of course, doesn't look anything like a ram in this part of the world because no, it's, it like it's upside down. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it doesn't look like a ram anyway. 
and after the 14th of May is in Taurus. This means that Scorpius is on the other side of the zodiacal wheel and visible starting after sunset. Alright, so the Milky Way, we are now looking towards the centre of our Milky Way, which rises up southeast just after sunset and reaches the meridian around after 3am at the beginning of the month and towards 2am towards the end of the month. Bright stars in the Milky Way. Starting in the west after sunset is Betelgeuse, then zigzag to the north is Procyon, the little dog alpha star. Zigzagging again is Sirius and then Adhara in the big dog and Avior in Vela, the beautiful stars of the Southern Cross, the two pointers Alpha and Beta Centauri, then later on the night after the centre of the Milky Way rises, Antares and Scorpius, Nungi, Sagittarius, and last but not least, after midnight, Altair and Vega, grazing the northern horizon. Orion is very close to Taurus and it will sink further towards the horizon as the month progresses. Enjoy it while it lasts for the rest of this month. Bright stars on the ecliptic. In Leo, we have Regulus, which is extremely close to the ecliptic. Then Spica, the blue giant in Virgo. Zubinel Genubi, another star grazing. Zubinel the what? Zubinel Genubi. Right. Another star grazing the ecliptic and Zubin Eshamali, just beneath it. Zubinel Genubi. Is that Zuba's brother? <laughs> Zubinel Genubi actually means the northern claw and Zubin Eshamali means the southern claw. And I hope I got this right. Because one is to the north and one is to the south, it's alluding anyway. that these two stars <laughs> have been the claws of Scorpius before they were chopped off and turned into the current constellation of Libra by Caesar, the emperor. They're followed by Antares, which is the last very bright star visible on the ecliptic before sunrise. Circumpolar objects to New Zealand, the beautiful Southern Cross and the pointers are high in the sky. Garcrooks and Arcrooks are crossing the meridian about 10pm at the beginning of the month and just after 8pm at the end of it. Omega Centauri is in a great position to observe, as well as Musca, Vela, Carina and the Diamond Cross, the False Cross and the Large Magellanic Cloud and of course the big giant spider in the middle, the Tarantula Nebula. Yeah, which kind of doesn't really look like a spider, but yeah, neither I... does the Ram in Aries, does it? <laughs> it does look like a spider, it looks like a Tarantula. Yeah, with broken legs. Binoculars come in many shapes and forms. The great size for stargazing are little 7x50s or 10x50s. The first number is a measure of power. It means how much these binoculars magnify. In this case, 7 for the 7x50s and 10 for the 10x50s. The second number is the diameter of the objective, the big hunk of glass at the other end. Then that's in millimetres. So for the 10x50s, that's 50 millimetre size of the lens. I really like binoculars. They're my favorite aids to observing the night sky because they're light. You can take them easily with you on trips. They don't really require assembly and disassembly, no polar alignment. And visually are better than telescopes because you use both eyes. Sometimes you might need a tripod, but that can be easily arranged. With a tripod attached, they are truly magnificent. Comets and some open star clusters are sometimes better observed with binoculars. We have two eyes, so binocular views are more spectacular in many regards than telescopes because our brains interpret what we see. Binoculars give depth of view as they engage both eyes in the process. There are a few great objects that you could admire in binoculars. On the ecliptic is M44, the beehive cluster. <laughs> it's an open cluster in Cancer, known as the beehive, because it looks like a swarm of bees. 
Or the press appy. It's really fuzzy <laughs> when you look at it with the naked eye. And binoculars reveal a beautiful lace of stars. Proceppies. <laughs> are as far as 577 light years away and estimated to be about 730 million years old with an average magnitude of 3.5, which is not bad. You should be able to see them. And you can see the naked eye, just. Just. Yeah. If you use your averted vision, yeah. you can. And Cancer is actually quite a dim... And if you're not in Constellation, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. actually, if from Tekapo. You, you can see them in Tekapo. <laughs> you probably count the individual stars. Also <laughs> in Cancer is M37. is another open cluster and one of the oldest known, almost 3.2 billion years old. Close to the area south of the triangle that marks Leo's hips, M65, M66 and NGC 3628 are there. And these would be visible depending on the size of your binoculars. They're also known as the Leo triplet. Also in Leo, M105 is a gorgeous elliptical galaxy. Last but not least, M96, another galaxy in Leo, lies at about 35 million light years away. So you can get a map and have a look for all these objects. Or if anything, everything else fails, just simply take binoculars and browse the Milky Way from one edge to the other. You might not figure out exactly which objects you're looking at, but you would definitely find some amazing sights, especially in the region close to Carina, where you will find, and write these down, IC2602, NGC3114, NGC353, NGC2516. <laughs> and they're all open clusters. <laughs> then in Crux, there's ngc 4755, which of course is the dual box cluster. And it's another open cluster that's really beautiful. And also NGC 2451. Puppies. Puppies. And IC 2391 in Vela. Actually, when I came here to New Zealand, I didn't know where to look. And I just took my binoculars and I just looked everywhere. Mm. It was fun. And it's a great way to learn the night sky, mm. just by Definitely. finding stuff. All right, lower down, Omega Centauri. There is a globular cluster in Centaurus and in Scorpius. There is the butterfly cluster M7, the open cluster, and NGC 6231, another open cluster there. So we just went outside and had a look with the telescope at some amazing circumpolar objects because we thought we wanted to tell you what's actually really happening in the sky. So these are all very high. And we look at these a lot because they're circumpolar. So we see these objects a lot, in fact, most of the year round in, in Wellington. Um, and, and that starts with the, the southern beehive cluster, which took us a while to actually work out the name, but that's NGC2516, which is a beautiful cluster, really nice looking one. And then there's another really cool cluster, a bit like the jewel box, called Gem Cluster. And it's it hangs out near Etacarina Nebula, which is probably why not a lot of people look at it, because they go for looking at the nebula instead of the cluster. But that's NGC 3293, and it's a really beautiful cluster, not unlike Jewel Box. It's gorgeous. It's mm. got a, a red giant, it's got a few blue giants in there, mm. and the stars are aligned, right? Yeah, 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 that was first time I've seen the gem cluster, and I very much liked it. I could definitely make out the blues in it, which was nice. Yay. Also, there is the Southern Pleiades, IC2602, the Wishing Well cluster, NGC 3532. Good old dual box cluster, NGC 4755. Omicron Valorum, IC2391. I really love this IC, kind of like, uh, what does this stand for? I don't know, but NGC is the New General Catalogue. Right. Which we happen to have a copy right here of the New General Catalogue from 1888. And we did check these manually. <laughs> well, uh, we checked one. Analogly. <laughs> 
Actually, the Wishing Well cluster is a really good binocular object, and so is uh, Omicron Valorum. Southern Pleiades is, yeah, and Omega Centauri yeah. as well. Southern Pleiades, because they're quite big, and Wishing Well is quite big, and so is Omicron Valorum. Southern Pleiades is mm. actually really cute, because mm. they look like a letter M. I mean, it, it is letter M on the side, or W on the side. And of course... We also look at Alpha Centauri and Acrox, and we look at those for the double stars because there's uh, five arcs you can get between the two um, Alpha Centauri stars, A and B, and the same for, well, actually a bit less for Acrox, it's only four seconds. So it's a good way of testing the seeing, actually, because if, can, if you can't see the gap, then the seeing's really rubbish. Um, and if you can see nice, crisp, big gap, then you know the seeing's pretty good. And, of course, we had a look at uh, Tarantula, which um, is pretty tricky here in the light pollution, but we still got to see it. Good old NGC 202070. Now you might be wondering why we're saying all NGC numbers and the IC numbers because as Holly pointed out, if you've got a go-to, then that's what you have to type in. Yeah, which is what we use over in Techfair. We all have the go-to mounts, which makes our life a bit easier. Fantastic. Wow, so what would you look at um, there? What, what What's a favourite object in Lake Table for people to look at? Oh, we really like the Tarantula Nebula. That's always a go-to, along with Omega Centauri. That's always a favourite as well. Sculptor Galaxy at the moment, is it? Oh, oh, Sombrero Galaxy is also yeah. looking really good at wow. the moment. We've been looking yeah. at that a lot. Because you have big telescopes. We've got nice big telescopes. And then with the go-to mounts, it makes it very easy to find these galaxies. Yeah. And, and you look at the stars all night long. Yeah, so it's pretty amazing. Wow. So when does the last session end? What time? Um, we are finishing just after midnight, 1am at the moment. Wow. So you get to see the planets and things. Yeah, so we get Jupiter and Saturn coming up at the moment, which is great. Because Jupiter's rising. Well, it just hits the horizon about 7.30 now. So by sort of 9 o'clock, it's getting good height to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jupiter's nice and high. Nice. Yeah, and Saturn's about two hours behind. So yeah, yeah, by, yeah by 1 o'clock, it would be looking pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Very nice for the uh, occultation. Mm. I <laughs> did, bet. Did, did you see, you see the occultation? Yes, we did stay up and watch the occultation. We were very quickly trying to pack down all the telescopes that we weren't using so that we could watch the occultation. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah. Did you take cool. any pictures? Uh, I managed to get a couple of pictures. Other people, I think, got a bit better, but the seeing wasn't very good that night, mm. so yeah. it was a bit tricky. Saw Saturn disappear behind the moon and then... Wow. 70 minutes later, spot ditched it, pop out the other side. It was great. It's quite fast. Like, it tells you how fast the moon actually... Yeah, goes in the sky. You don't realise how fast the moon's moving until it's covering up Saturn. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we had like oh, two or three people to a telescope. Oh. So we yeah. had to. It's a bit of, but my turn. <laughs> bit <laughs> of fighting over it. Out of the way. Yeah, no. yeah. So what else is amazing? I mean, Lake Taupo is like one of the most beautiful places in New Zealand to look at the stars. Where else do you guys do there? Oh well, now that it's starting to get a bit cold, we're starting to dream of the ski season. The ice rink's just opened, again, for the winter season. So, yeah, it's starting to cool down a bit, uh, which is very nice. So do you have people coming visiting in the wintertime? Uh, once the ski season hits, we'll definitely see a lot more people through because mm. skiing um, around down south is just absolutely spectacular, amazing views. And you were saying you don't just have sessions in English, but you have in other languages too. Yeah, so we also do tours in Mandarin and Japanese every single night, along wow. with our English tours. And then every now and again, on a request, we can do something else as well. Uh, and, and we were talking about breaks and things and holidays, and, um, <laughs> and Holly was saying that the English guys get two days on Christmas, right? One day. One day, one day on Christmas. One this day on it. Christmas, if we're lucky. <laughs> normally, it's asked, anyone wants, if, does anyone want to work on Christmas Day? And, you know, no one normally volunteers, but... 
Yeah, from yeah. the English team. The, uh, no one really wants to volunteer for Christmas. Team. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. We'll be a few places hoping for bad weather on Christmas Day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here with us. And uh, we hope you come back to Wellington again. Now Holly also writes for Milky Way Kiwi. And so watch her online with her amazing account of what's going on there at Lake Tekapo, about the telescopes that are coming, about her life as an observer, her life as a researcher. So just keep an eye. And Thanks for visiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll be back definitely. I love Wellington. And we love to have you here. So this is this is it for for the month of May. We're wrapping up here. Um, Hari tina mogoshano. I'm Sam Liski. And I'm Holly. And, and we're, we're Milky, Milky Way Kiwi. Kiwi. <laughs> <laughs> at Space Place at Carter Observatory in New Zealand, Southern Hemisphere, Solar System, and Lake Tikipo. Clear, Clear skies. skies.